Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, joined by my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. And Christian, today is a first for the Cinema Drip Podcast because we are going to have our very first grab bag episode, as I have so termed it. So how are you feeling? New format? Gonna try to shake things up a little bit? What... What what is a grab bag, by the way? Because I just have a list of movies. Well, that's what you should have. So thank you. <laughs> I you know, I I'm not quite sure the origin of the phrase grab bag. Part of me thinks it's like it was a thing where like a teacher or somebody would have a a prize sort of situation for students, and if you won whatever quiz in class you could go get a prize from the grab bag and you like reach in there and it's you know a piece of candy or something um so this is a prize these movies are prizes yes exactly christian the prize of discovering new new film delights which apparently it, unexpectedly against all of the odds you discovered a five-star film in your research <laughs> for this episode please don't tell the audience what i want to save that we're gonna we're gonna I, get to I, that I later am- I, I when you when you saw that I gave it that that ranking, what was? Because have you seen that film? We'll discuss it later. Christian, but have you seen it? I watched it last night, so that we could have a back and forth about that movie. There are going to be movies that I bring up that you haven't seen, and vice versa. Okay. But I wanted to make mm-hmm. sure that I was had my bases covered for your new masterpiece movie, <laughs> according to your letterbox, at least. Oh. Hundred percent, and and uh, um, okay. How how do you want to format this? That's a great question, Christian. I'm so glad you led me into that. So, folks, here's how this episode is gonna go. Christian and I are basically just gonna ping pong back and forth. We'll take turns introducing a movie. And as a reminder of the kinds of constraints that we're working with, we don't we're not gonna only recommend movies specifically adapted from video games. It could be something like Tron, where video games are a core part of the story and the inspiration for the story, but it's not necessarily based on a pre-existing game. Or it could be about a real-world topic in the world of video games. There have been some documentaries made. There has been some movies made about the business of video games. Uh, Even some where it's not specifically inspired by a game, but uses video game style to inspire the way the movie is made. Uh, which I'm, I'm sure we might have an example or two of that. So going to be a variety of movies here, not purely movies based on video games. And we're just going to take turns going back and forth and offering up some suggestions for folks to check out or, and as is the case with a lot of these movies, at least the ones specifically adapted from games, avoid like the plague. So, <laughs> I have six movies. Fantastic. I have six movies that I have chosen. I've only... I only saw two of them for this episode, but there were another four that I thought were important enough to bring up. I I think that mine... I'm trying to... Mine deal with... I have three that are specifically about video games or video game adaptations. And I have three that are... That, that video game... Playing video games is highly important in the lives of the individuals. Perfect. 
I look forward to seeing all of your suggestions, Christian. And I'm actually going to ask you to kick it off because I noticed that you logged something this very day. A new release, <laughs> in fact. And I figure it makes sense to start there with a another brand new movie fresh on our streaming services, or rather just one. That movie being Tetris. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Christian. I'm not sure if you had a planned order, but I wanted to start there because I did see you logged that today. Okay. This is a little unfair because I did not like this movie. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, 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 I did watch it for today simply because video game movies, as people are saying, seem to be really vamping up. Now, Tetris did come out this year. It stars Taron Egerton. It is about the making – no, not the making of Tetris. It's much more so about the um, – like the politics between trying to get the licensing rights to Nintendo from Russia and and the the basically it really ties Tetris in as one of the things that destroyed communism in the USSR which look maybe Tetris is the reason the USSR collapsed however it, um, it was a bit of a stretch for me Christian. The script also doesn't entirely make sense. <laughs> that is unfortunate. I, I'm sad to hear that a movie about the stirring battle for licensing rights didn't set your heart afire with new renewed delight <laughs> at the triumph of the human spirit. What about the script didn't work for you? Because I've I, I haven't heard a ton about this movie. Unfortunately, it does seem like it kind of landed on Apple TV and not too many people watched it. But the one, one of the critiques that I did here is similar to what you've said. Where it's just not the strongest script that they're working with. So I'm curious what specifically did not work for you. That they are fighting over the difference between arcade rights and handheld rights and PC rights to play the game of Tetris. But it's a little convoluted as to who has the rights. And that's kind of part of the story. But also, um, it loses you a little bit. Also, these people have fallen in love with the game of Tetris, and they did not make me love Tetris. And I, I think that's a major selling point. Now, um, I've played Tetris just like most human beings have. And it's a, I, I want to say maybe this is one of the reasons that you liked Air much more than I liked Air. That... Um, Matt Damon in in that movie, which is about ma the making of Air Jordans, talks about how Michael Jordan is just one of the greatest and will go on to be great. And this shoe is like symbolic of that. And I go, sure, I I maybe, why not? Um, the same way Taron Edgerton is is saying that after playing Tetris once, he still sees falling blocks in his dreams. That is a real quote from this movie. And I, I don't like. <laughs> so it's it 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 doesn't. I think do a good job of fleshing out what this game means to people or why it became such a big sensation. And it it was all over the place. There's a half baked family chemistry here, but it is watchable. Like some of the action scenes can get thrilling, but also it stretches believability. It stretches believability to the max, man. Considering that apparently it's implied that Tetris was the straw that broke the Berlin Wall's back. 
<laughs> I'm inclined to trust you on that one, although I haven't seen it myself. I do have to tell you, Christian. Do you know the video game franchise with the most overall sales in the history of video games? Give you a hint. The main character showed up in our blend of the month this month. Is it Mario? It, it is Mario. Mario has sold okay. the most across all of his many different sub-series and, and Mario Brothers, Mario World, etc. Do you know the video game franchise that has the second most sales in the history of video games? Is it Tetris? It sure is Tetris. Okay. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate to me to hear that the movie about the, I, I guess, bringing Tetris to the world uh, after it was, of course, created by a Russian uh, programmer. Uh, shame that it's a little bit bland and a little bit convoluted because Tetris is a game that, like you said, everybody has played and everybody's familiar with. So shame that they couldn't make that a little more universal, but... Who knows? It's on Apple TV Plus, and people can find out for themselves. Okay, talk to me about one of your movies. Christian, I am going to talk to you about one of my movies. And I actually watched it earlier this year without even having a plan in place to cover this on the podcast. But we talked about some classic video game characters on, on the pod this month. We talked about Mario. We talked about Sonic and his, his gang of friends. But I was always a little bit more of a PlayStation kid growing up. I had some Nintendo consoles. I played some Mario games. But I was uh, uh, more inclined to play Spyro the Dragon. Spyro was my guy back in the day. Eventually, Ratchet and Clank. Is there a Spyro movie? No, there's not a Spyro movie. Unfortunately, okay. I, but maybe fortunately. I feel like there could have been a good Spyro like show on Nick, maybe. Like Nickelodeon. But there should have been a Sly Cooper movie. There should have been a Sly Cooper movie. They tried to make that happen. They tried. And it never did. They it did make did. a Ratchet and Clank movie, and apparently it is terrible. And I still have not seen it. And I know that I will one day on some whim or curiosity when it gets okay. the best of me, but I haven't. There is a famous PlayStation character that I have very little connection to, however. But she is someone who has made not one, not two, but three movies Tomb Raider? at the box office and you are correct it's Lara Croft okay. Lara Croft Tomb Raider so for people who are unfamiliar with Lara Croft she is a PlayStation original character who would go on Indiana Jones-esque adventures with some fantastical elements thrown in in the very first game she was doing flips and shooting her dual pistols and fighting dinosaurs at one point in the game so not all of it is based deeply in reality of course but it's a long-running franchise and Naturally, when they were first starting to try to adapt video games into movies again, with a little distance from the terrible Super Mario Bros. movie of the 90s, Lara Croft seemed ripe for adaptation because she's already based on Indiana Jones. You know, there's a format in place. We can try to do something that audiences are a little bit familiar with. And unfortunately, although they got Angelina Jolie to star in the movies, they were received poorly, critically. <laughs> and they did decent box office so some there there was an audience a bit for these globe trotting adventures but the quality just wasn't exactly there i will say i watched both lara croft tomb raider and lara croft tomb raider the cradle of life as these extending sequel titles go and i will say they are sort of like tetris as you said they're watchable they are just fun enough and 
I almost got there with the very first adventure that, that Jolie's on because she's in, in a fantastic period of her career. This is 2001, so she has blown up in the 90s. She wins an Oscar for Girl Interrupted and is one of the biggest stars in the world at this time. And seems like a natural fit for this kind of character. And she really is. She is genuinely great in this role. She gets to do a lot of trash talking to these treasure hunters who think they know better than her because she's a girl. But of course, she is far more gifted than than maybe they assume she is. But as you know, these big blockbuster adventures go, it they don't always come together for the best final product. They get lost in early 2000s CGI <laughs> at times, or again, just not the best writing, not the most, not, not even just crafting the most fun adventure that we could. But there's a lot of fun elements to these movies, and that's okay. that's why I wanted to bring it up and recommend it. Is 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 Tomb Raider trying to build a lot on the character or on the backstory of Laura Croft? Yes. So from what I know, the stories were original to the movies. I don't think they're specifically adapting any games. But there are some common elements, like in the games, Lara Croft was brought up by her father, who then disappears under mysterious circumstances, and she picks up the mantle once she grows up and and comes of age. She has this beautiful mansion that she lives in, which in the first movie is the... It actually gets this great set piece where the bad guys storm the mansion trying to... I forget if they're trying to literally kidnap her or if they're just trying to steal her stuff because she has this this artifact they need. But it gives this great set piece where she's sw- literally swinging through the great hall of her big mansion, taking out all of these bad guys who've just broken into her home. But again, it's taking that it's choosing to go the path of telling a story inspired by the games, not specifically recreating a story already told by the games. Okay, I have a working theory about video game movies, but uh, I'm, I'm going to save that to the end till if, if, if we if we if we see what works for me at least. Okay. When when these movies are adapted, but all right, I will uh, say we... the last thing that I'll say about these movies: Daniel Craig is in the first one, very much a pre-James Bond Daniel Craig, and Gerard Butler shows up in the second one as this nice. former love interest who she now has to work together with. And again, these are the types of movies where they're not timeless, fantastic adventures, but there's a lot to like about some of the parts of the movie that, would, that makes it worth turning on on a lazy Sunday afternoon or a Friday night where you just need something to put on. So if you like Daniel Craig, if you like Angelina Jolie, Gerard Butler, or you just are looking for sort of an Indiana Jones-ish type of movie, you can put on Lara Croft. Plus, they rebooted it with Alicia Vikander. And if you look at my letterbox, I gave that one a higher star rating than either of the Angelina Jolie movies. But I don't remember almost anything about it. So nice. don't take my word too strongly for it. But I believe the Angelina Jolie adventures are still on HBO Max if you want to check them out. Okay. All right. Back to you, Christian. Uh, so I do you want me to stay in the 2020s or do you want me to move to a different decade? Christian, it's up to you, man. Whatever, okay. wherever your heart leads, I will follow. All right. Um, so let me. Mm, all right. Let, let me let me stay with direct adaptations. Mortal Kombat, the twenty twenty one movie. <laughs> okay. Have you seen it? I sure have seen it, Christian. <laughs> I think 
it is a it, it's it's um it's it's diarrhea <laughs> that is what i think In of what that movie way, Christian? <laughs> i hate the father-son dynamic that they're going for also it's called mortal Kombat, and there's no mortal Kombat in the movie your letterboxd review which i have just pulled up on my phone it makes that explicit complaint. It says, but why didn't they rip someone's spine out? Give the people what they want. And Christian, <laughs> I concur. Not enough <laughs> spines being ripped out of people in this movie. Oh, my goodness. Okay. There is... Now, now, now let me tell you this. It feels like a lot of video... It feels like Zack Snyder should make a video game movie. Because I think that Zack Snyder's sensibilities, his slow-mo close-ups, are very much so what some of the best video game movie adaptations have, or at least some of the best parts of video game movie adaptations. And some of these fight scenes do have um, some nice, cool fatalities. If you have ever played the Mortal Kombat games, that is when you... That's, that's the epic move you do to finally kill someone. But... There's, I think they were trying to spend too much time building up the story of the realm. And, and Mortal Kombat is supposed to be this massive tournament that all of these champions go in and fight in in order to save Earth. And there's no tournament in this movie. And it's all lead up for a second movie. But I I think that I, 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 I didn't like it. You know what? I didn't like it. I didn't buy the chemistry between anyone. That the acting was, the acting was just awful. The, the yeah, acting. the acting or the actors cast in Mortal Kombat is whatever the opposite of a who's who of Hollywood. <laughs> There's a lot of names you will not recognize, and it's it always is cool to see, you know, see some up and coming actors get their opportunity in a big budget movie. Warner Brothers put out Mortal Kombat and. They took a chance on a first-time director and Simon McCoy, who I think had only worked in commercials up to that point. They took a chance on a lot of these actors, but ultimately, that does lead you to a place where you just have some less experienced actors who maybe can't carry a big-budget IP movie like this, and it's unfortunate. In in their defense, a lot of these actors are probably well known in their country of origin because we have actors from Singapore, Japan. Yeah. Maybe it's not their fault. Maybe it's just how their characters are written. I I, I dislike this movie, but I don't know. I, I talked about it because in it was released I think January of twenty twenty one and it still made it still like was financially successful at the box office, made eighty eight million against its fifty five billion dollar production budget. And became, like, the highest uh, streamed HBO Max movie at the time of its premiere. Which is just bonkers. That is bonkers, Christian, because, uh, again, it's a very, very bad movie. <laughs> but it got the sequel greenlit, so I guess we get to go round two with these people. I will, I will say, I wanted to try to catch up with the first Mortal Kombat movie because they did make a couple in the mid-90s. But it wasn't streaming anywhere when we were supposed to do our homework. It's now streaming on HBO Max. So I, I, it might be worth getting into that because from what I've heard, those movies are beloved by some and more fun as sort of a cult film with a big following. Campy. Yeah. Very campy. 
Yes, so uh, that might be worth looking into because the new Mortal Kombat doesn't really have that it's camp not factor. can't be at no. all. It's so serious, and the plot makes no sense. <laughs> and it's all building to the Mortal Kombat tournament, which never happens, at least in that movie. <laughs> but, okay, the fatalities are cool, but that's yes. like the only reason to watch this movie. Yeah, the, just, the action... Just do the, the YouTube compilation. Yeah, the action is pretty decent. From looking at my old Letterboxd review for this movie, that's the one thing that I remember liking. The opening, too, is is pretty cool from what I can remember. Hiroyuki Sanada, who is just in John Wick Chapter 4, he's been in a lot of movies. He does show up for uh, a part to play, his part to play in the beginning of the movie. And gets a pretty cool scene before we zoom to the present day. Because he's playing a, a ninja from days past. But that's Mortal Kombat, which is on HBO Max. Alright, what's what's your next one? My next one, Christian, is actually a documentary. It's King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Okay. Christian, have you heard of or seen King of Kong? I have heard of it. I was going to try and watch it for this, but it wasn't available anywhere for me. Okay. I strongly encourage you to do so. <laughs> okay. uh, the King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, is a 2007 documentary directed by Seth Gordon, who would go on to start working in studio comedy. He directed Horrible Bosses. He directed the Baywatch remake, among other movies. So not a fantastically high-quality career from Seth Gordon, but he is making Hollywood movies now with big stars. And he got his start with this documentary about two, primarily about two, Donkey Kong players. Those two being Steve Wiebe and Billy Mitchell. And they are... (laughs) Steve Wiebe, actually, is a pretty normal guy. Very nice, very good at Donkey Kong. The kind of guy who you could see... Being someone, if you work at a larger company, you find out about this guy. Maybe he goes to your church. You just find out this rumor. Hey, do you know Steve in accounting? Actually, he's like a Donkey Kong world record holder. You know, isn't that crazy? That's his fun fact at your church's community group or whatever it is. But Billy Mitchell is just an all-time how-is-this-guy-real person. (laughs) He adopts this villain persona that he... He just loves. He loves to be the bad guy, and we all love him for it. He's the longtime record holder of Donkey Kong, and he has people coming for his crown often, Steve Wiebe being one of them. And Billy Mitchell is always in a a shirt and tie. He's got long hair, and he sells hot sauce. And he kicks butt at Donkey Kong. (laughs) And he is not afraid to be a jerk about it. And the movie, it's quick. It's... uh, 83 minutes with credits so it's pretty quick and it just introduces you to this little side world of video games that's even further by the wayside at this point where although retro gaming has sort of come back as a collector's hobby or people maybe stream older games on twitch and people who had a relationship to these games when they were younger can go back and watch somebody else play it and not have to get out their old stuff and and try to play it themselves But this is specifically arcade gaming, which is already dead by the time the movie comes out in 2007. And it's these proud few who are carrying on this old tradition of competing for the highest score and the weird characters that inhabit this world, led by Billy Mitchell, one of the funniest documentary villains you will ever run into. 
it's a really fun movie. Even if you have no idea about video games, if you've never played Donkey Kong, and we're talking the one where it's where Mario is still called Jumpman and he's hopping over barrels going up the level. But it's such a fun watch, and I really encourage you to track it down. If you obviously when it's streaming, Christian, if you prefer to do it that way, but it's it should be rentable on Amazon and other places. Might be able to check it out. I'm not I'm probably not at your local library, but if you have a video rental store near you, or for listeners, I know Christian does because we go together sometimes. But uh, yeah, definitely one to keep on your radar. That is the King of Kong, a fistful of quarters. Okay, I. I'm going to tie that into my next movie then because it definitely became a trope in different TV shows or even movies set in the 80s of like the nerd whose entire personality is based off the fact that they're playing arcade games or they're at the arcade. And also back when the arcade was like the place that you went to. Now, the next movie I'm going to reference is Ready Player One, which I you have seen. I have seen. I don't remember a lot about it i do remember liking it more than a lot of the reviews i read about it and some of the conversation i heard about it so enlighten me remind me okay so ready player one weirdly enough is directed by steven spielberg i say that it just it just does not seem like a movie that he would direct however directed by him written by zach penn and also ernest klein based on the novel that ernest klein wrote it is about, it's like a weird distant future where virtual reality has become where people are going to school, that's where kids are learning, or that's where um, trash is like piled up around major metropolitan areas, and I think like pollution has has really eroded different places, so you can't go out much, so the way that people changed that is is by having them go into virtual reality and basically just stuffing them at home and so there is a treasure hunt that someone puts into this virtual reality game for people to try to discover and all of the easter eggs are references to 1980s different uh video games or movies or this is very much a, uh, a movie that believes the 1980s was the peak decade for everything and going into it, it's just it, it it is a movie that whose lead characters are outcasts, or video games and, and pop culture are the only thing that they have going for them. Now, there's some cool directorial choices made here. Again, not the biggest fan of the story. I do think that the script pales in comparison to the book. But it is trying to take that trope to almost its inevitable conclusion of who do nerds have to make friends with except for each other. And that was definitely something that was going on for a while amongst people. I I unfortunately don't have a lot to add (laughs) just because, like I said, I really don't remember much about the movie. But I will say it, it does have the fun factor of all of those references to, it is fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. to the the stories or the movies or the video games, the 80s pop culture and beyond, the things that you will recognize. And I know for a lot of people that was reason for criticism. Like, for example, The Iron Giant, if you're yep. familiar with that animated movie, became the object of so much angry online discussion because 
one of the main points of that movie is about how this relatively scary giant robot learns to not be a weapon and protect the people he cares about and yet in this in ready player one at least in the movie is used as a weapon and people are frustrated with how he was undercut and misused at least relevant to how he was portrayed in his own movie so there are some things that frustrate about the characters who are brought back from the past but if you're able to look past that and it doesn't frustrate you too much there is a lot of fun to be had as you pick out the things that you recognize or at least just go along for the ride with Ty Sheridan, who's the star, if I remember correctly. It is a fun movie that holds, I, I don't think, a ton of weight in its character development. And the, the major theme of the movie is, hey, kids, go outside sometimes. That's it. <laughs> you know, Christian, I think we could all benefit from going outside sometimes and touching grass every now and again lord knows i need to touch grass from time to time all right uh why don't you go with your next movie i will christian i'm just now i'm looking over the cast of ready player one and wondering why you didn't just tell me about all these really fun people who are in this movie apparently letitia olivia olivia cook is in this movie yeah letitia wright plays rebel letitia wright (laughs) does play rebel yeah she's fantastic simon Pegg, ben mendelson there's great people in that movie my next movie, inspired by you, Christian, again, not going with a direct adaptation. And this, in fact, is an original script also. And I am 99% sure it's the weirdest thing that will get mentioned <laughs> on this podcast. And that is Existence, the 1999. You actually watched it? I actually watched it, Christian. The science fiction slash horror movie written and directed by David Cronenberg. So... First time I think Cronenberg has been brought up on the podcast here, Christian. Are you familiar with him in in any way? I have seen two of his movies. I have seen um, History of Violence, and I have also seen Crimes of the Future. And I thought History of Violence was cool, and I thought Crimes of the Future was was not. Well, I'm sad to hear that you missed out on how great crimes of the future is have you seen crimes of the future i have christian and any movie you're a fan of crimes of the future yes 90 percent is vigo mortensen sitting on a chair that rocks back and forth trying to eat stuff from us from, from from trying to eat soup you forget that Leia Seydoux often performs surgery on him while he's in that chair christian and any movie that features Kristen stewart fully in her weirdest acting mode coming up and whispering to vigo mortensen about how surgery is the new sex sex. (laughs) is getting a passing grade in my book and crimes of the future she was the best part of that movie she's great crimes of the future was considered a return to form by many of cronenberg's fans because it, it invokes body horror, which if you're not familiar with body horror as a genre, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's movies where something gross or unnerving or unsettling or horrific is happening to people's bodies. Think about The Fly, where Jeff Goldblum, also directed by Cronenberg, where Jeff Goldblum is the scientist who slowly turns into the titular fly. <laughs> or... Another one of David Cronenberg's most famous movies is Videodrome, which has this very strange relationship between specifically video, like VHS tapes in your your VCR, 
being broadcast to your TVs, what have you. He has a very singular way of writing and of making movies. And I've been watching some of his stuff for the very first time this year, and it's been one of the more fun cinematic diversions that I've gone down. And so I wanted to make sure that I caught up with Existence, which it's a, it is a strange one. And I will say not one of my favorites of the Cronenberg movies that I've been watching this year, but still one that I can recommend to a certain audience. Um, just so people understand a little bit of why I'm hesitant to recommend this. It stars Jennifer Jason Leigh and Jude Law. And Jennifer Jason Lee plays a game designer named Allegra Geller. And Jude Law gets brought along for the ride after there is an assassination attempt on her life and they have to go on the run. But she's not just any game designer because in this world, in the world of existence, they are using these things called game pods that are really gross and uncomfortable. (laughs) These fleshy, like, controller but they lay across your lap sort of things and you mess with these and flick these knobs to get going and the games themselves it's not like something you play on a tv it's like you get cast into a dream almost people will recognize the way that inception works honestly it's very similar to this where they're messing with the gamepad and all of a sudden they wake up and they're in a new place and realize oh we're in the game now and To me, the movie itself, I think it's very much Cronenberg's take on video games. And if you want to get on his wavelength and think about the ways that how video games present a new reality to us and how easy it is to get lost in that reality and lose yourself and your own identity, if you want to be thinking about those philosophical questions, it can be very rewarding. Because the plot, of course, takes twists and turns we have to figure out why someone tried to assassinate Allegra Geller in the first place and there's again a deep cast of interesting actors who show up in supporting parts Willem Dafoe Ian Holm even Sarah Polly who just won an Oscar for women talking she began her career as an actor and she makes a small appearance here you might recognize her near the end of the movie so it's definitely a weird one. And Christian, if you didn't like Crimes of the Future, no one gets... Actually, I would say nobody gets surgery in this movie, but Jude Law does get what's called a bioport inserted into mm. his spine so that he can participate in these games. Nice. So there's a, li- a little bit of surgery <laughs> in this movie. But to me, it it gets a little bit lost, whereas I feel like some of Cronenberg's other movies are more focused, more potent in what they're getting at. But as someone who loves video games and likes thinking about them existence had enough there for me plus jude law jennifer jason lee great actors so i had an okay time i don't think you would like it christian but (laughs) just gonna say that now but it is a strange video game inspired movie so let's talk about a movie that is also inspired by video games real quick i don't think that's i don't think it's streaming anywhere right now but Keep your eyes out. I know we're, I want to make sure that we can we can mention that. So let's talk about a movie that is also dealing with existentialism, and that is 2012's Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> now, directed by uh, Rich Moore, written by Phil Johnson and Jennifer Lee, Wreck-It Ralph is about... This Wreck-It Ralph is is basically this movie's version of Donkey Kong. Because 
he wrecks stuff and then who is it fix it felix yes it's fix it felix who who repairs what he has broken and uh, and then eventually wreck it ralph gets thrown out of the roof or whatever and and he starts to get an existential crisis which is is this all that i'm good for everyone just sees me as a villain why am i a villain and he undergoes a journey of trying to recognize what it is that makes him a villain what it is that that makes people treat him like a villain and how to come to terms with quote unquote what he has been programmed to do now it's a fascinating movie really if you look back and and think about what it is that it's trying to do it's basically trying to say are we born evil to some extent and also is it actually we are born evil or is it just the perception that other people have of us i've always and, wanted disney to tackle the question of original sin so I'm, I'm glad that we are we're having them take that satan does make an appearance in this movie <laughs> say less actually Christian. say less a- actually um i'm sorry satin ah okay I haven't actually seen Wreck-It Ralph, so I assume that's a joke. You haven't seen Wreck-It Ralph? There are there are a few Disney movies that I have not yet seen in my young young life, and Wreck-It Ralph one and two are among those movies. Wreck-It Ralph two feels like someone dreamed that Wreck-It Ralph was a movie and decided to make a worse version of it. Interesting. <laughs> it is. It's not great. Now, but yeah, Wreck-It Ralph. It's it's fascinating, really, on on all of these themes of existentialism. Several different iconic video game characters do make an appearance. For example, uh, Sonic is in this movie to a small degree, uh, but it's also got like a, a a fascinating cast. So John C. Riley is Ralph. Sarah Silverman is Vanellope von Schweetz, the a different video game character created for this. So Jack McBrayer is Felix, the person who is inside of the same video game as, as uh, Ralph. Also, we have Jane Lynch, Alex Tudyk, Mindy Kaling. It is, it is a stacked cast. It is really, really a stacked cast. And the ending is odd. What Ralph decides is a little odd. It's a it, it, it's a good movie like and, and, and it's, a, it's a good feel-good ending but it gets you thinking what was i programmed to do and am i okay with that <laughs> addressing not only the, the question of original sin but the full human condition <laughs> am I, I just programmed or do i have my own free will <laughs> I think you would enjoy this movie a lot, Scott. I think I would, too. And I couldn't tell you why I haven't caught up with Wreck-It Ralph yet. The answer is usually that there's tens of thousands of movies that I would like to see in any given day. So we're we're getting to them all one at a time. <laughs> but I'm glad to hear that although the sequel doesn't quite work for you, that the original is, is still a fun time. All right, what's what's your next movie? Oh, by the way, it's probably streaming on Disney Plus. I'm not sure. I haven't checked. It is. Uh, yes. Sure. It's one of those that I would have fit in were my were my brother not graduating from college this past weekend. So, shout out to Carter. You got that. You got those degrees. 
multiple majors for my guy, my, my guy Carter. But unfortunately, graduation events ate into my time watching movies. The next movie I want to bring up is actually adapted from a video game. And unfortunately, we're going back to PlayStation. And we're going to a franchise that now I do have a connection to. And a movie that I was once looking forward to and then lost all of my anticipation for it. And when I finally caught up with it, I felt vindicated in that. And that is last year's Uncharted, which is directed by Ruben Fleischer. (laughs) Yes, Ruben Fleischer, a name that many people will recognize at this point. He has made movies like Zombieland and First Venom movie. Christian, I know you're you're a fan of Venom. I freaking love Venom. And I freaking love Zombieland. So I always have a little bit of hope in Ruben Fleischer because that, that first that my first experience with him was so positive in a movie that I truly love. But Uncharted is not it. And notably stars Tom Holland as Nathan Drake, who is the character in the video games, go, once again going on Indiana Jones-esque adventures. And the Uncharted franchise really, really uh, expanded the... I guess we call it the cinematic appeal of video games, at least in this this particular lane. Where Tomb Raider, of course, had these types of games before, where you're playing an action hero or heroine in Tomb Raider's case, and you're going looking for buried treasure, you're fighting off bad guys. But Uncharted really expanded, and just in terms of like video game development, like the graphics of the games were always cutting edge, and the set pieces became iconic. There's one in the second Uncharted game that gets repeated in the movie where, honestly, it might be the third one. Now it's all blended together. But where Nathan literally is falling out of a plane and has to hang on to dear life to some of those cargo nets and figure out what to do from there. They steal that for the movie. Nice. Uncharted is... It's a, it's a movie that really symbolizes why sometimes movies should not make it out of development hell. <laughs> uh, wow. It, I watched a movie, or not a movie, I watched a YouTube video earlier today, uh, at time of recording actually, where the YouTubers, uh, it's, their channel's called Burback, and I'm not super familiar with them. I do know Eddie Burback is one of the brothers, but he has a twin brother whose name I don't know. Sorry, other Burback brother. And they talked about how where The Last of Us succeeded, Uncharted failed. And they were just identifying how how many directors and writers were attached to the Uncharted movie over a long period of time. And it's ridiculous. There's something like 10 different writers taking over the script, rewriting the script, writing a new script, (laughs) like coming in, and five directors, I think. They announced the movie shortly after the first game came out, and I think 2011. And then they put out five Uncharted games before the movie hit theaters in 2022. And you really feel the development hell for the movie. It feels like a lot of people wrote different scripts and they are trying to Frankenstein it together into something coherent. It does not have a strong visual identity. Fleischer has made big budget movies before, obviously, but it's very, very bland. And a lot of the CGI, again, they're leaning too heavily on it. It does not look as good as it should for a movie of this scale. But the biggest sin is just the casting, where Tom Holland is cast to play Nathan Drake. And in the very first game, Drake is in his early 30s at this point. Holland, of course, still in his mid-20s. Maybe he's getting close to 30 at this point. But he's just too young to play this character, who's supposed to be, you know, a smarmy douchebag who 
learns to be a better person over the course of his life, you know, life altering and threatening adventures. His mentor figure is a guy named Sully, who in again in the original games is late fifties, early sixties, but in this movie he's played by Mark Wahlberg, who is just doing the same kind of acting he does in every movie these days. Where he feels like Wahlberg is out of his capital A actor period where he's trying to get Oscar nominations and working with interesting directors. And now he's kind of just doing the same tough guy, sarcastic guy thing. And that's what he does for this movie. And it does not work. The two of them do have some chemistry. And you feel like if they were in any other movie, maybe it could work. But the characters here here just feel so foreign to the characters from the video games. And at some point, you do wonder, am I treating this movie more harshly because I'm a huge fan of the games. And as someone who has no idea that Uncharted is even based on a video game, going to have more fun with this movie. I think maybe. I really think that some people could have fun with this movie. And it was a financial success. It made $400 million at the global box office. So it it was a massive, massive disappointment for me. The, the other cardinal sin of the movie is that Nathan's primary love interest throughout the franchise is a character named elena who's not even in this movie and their their dynamic is something that you know changes and develops over time she's a great counterpoint to him because she's just in general a better person (laughs) and uh less she's also you know risk and danger averse and he brings that adventuring side out of her so they make a good pair but elena's not in the movie and we do have another female character who's from the video games but again that character is more interesting when elena is there to be jealous and all in all i think the uncharted movie is just a failure of adaptation of bland blockbuster filmmaking and yet it made a bunch of money at the box office so who knows maybe we'll be forced to get another but i will not be seeing it in theaters did you did you catch up with uncharted at all christian it looked like nothing i would ever want to see yeah there you go. There's a whole scene where Mark Wahlberg's like walking around at Papa John's in, I think, nice. Italy somewhere, and literally comments on the fact over the walkie-talkie to Nathan that he's in a Papa John's. And I love that. You know, I <laughs> I like Papa John's pizza, I guess, but <laughs> this is very lame. But very what? bland. But what? <laughs> very lame, bland, corporate feeling movie. Not one that has any real creativity behind it. Just business instincts and bad scripts over 10 years smushed together with bad casting to sink this what should have been a fun globetrotting adventure i think right. that's on netflix let's move still. on that's where i watched it so netflix okay yeah so christian back to you let's do you have many more movies or should we end it on the five out of five star masterpiece you know i have a few that i will just shout out as like rapid fire bullet points sure. so if you want to end it i think that would now is a good time to bring up that that movie <laughs> all right so the year let me set the stage set it the Chris. year is 2002 yeah it is and what the world did not know that we needed was another movie written and directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, where he would go on to meet his future wife, Mila Jovovich. And that movie is Resident Evil. Yeah, it is, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I'm like watching this on my laptop thinking, no freaking way. <laughs> this, okay, this someone might think that what I'm going to say is a con. 
I felt so much like the video game cutscene element. But they used it as like a trope and I kind of loved it. Also, the 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 CGI of that weird like okay, y'all by the way, if you don't know, there's this there's this corporation called the Umbrella Corporation and the Umbrella Corporation is in like 90% of homes. But what people do not know is that they are doing these military viral tests very much underneath the surface of this city called Raccoon City. And it is in an area laboratory known as the Hive. And all of a sudden, the um, mother control program starts to kill off every single person inside of that building. And uh, we have a team sent in with a very amnesiatic Mila Jovovich character. <laughs> Because they, well, she is a soldier who ends up suffering amnesia for some reason that I honestly don't really remember. And then she is trying to recover her memory as the team is trying to shut down this motherboard program and find out why she went homicidal. Now, just, just spoiler alert, the reason is zombies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Resident Evil, if you are unfamiliar out there, folks, is one of the most famous video game franchises out there and it's always been about killing zombies okay when when you have that massive cgi like monster thing at the end now don't get me wrong the cgi is not good it you feel 2002 ish as you're looking at that creepy crawly but it's 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 almost like I prefer CGI that's not trying to be realistic, you know, because it feels like they're trying to make it pop in a way or or like the biggest one of the big cardinal sins of Tron Legacy was when they de-aged Kurt Russell. Oof. Right. Tough. Yes. Like, honestly, if they had just like put. I don't know, a silicon face mask on him to make him look younger and it wasn't exactly right. But it, you know, it, it felt that I feel like I would have liked that more or it it's, it, it's like, this is just so much of a contrast that it completely fits the aesthetic of this movie, which is very practical. And CGI is also like, it's used in like a comical effect. Also the performances are campy and it's so fun. There, uh, honestly, I wonder truly if Paul <laughs> W.S. Anderson, while writing the script, was inspired by the first game, which I've never played any of the Resident Evil games. So if you're, a big, if you're a big video game fan out there, you might be like shocked and appalled. But I did not start getting into anything horror except for Zombieland until I was literally in or out of college. So did not play any scary games growing up, that's for sure. But I do know a bit about the franchise. And one of the most infamous parts of the original Resident Evil is the English voice acting. Because it is a Jap Japanese company, Capcom, who makes these games. And when they right. were originally bringing them to the West, they, of course, got English, you know, American or English-speaking voice actors. And... You should look up, Christian, some of the cutscenes from the original game because they are hilarious. 
<laughs> and I wonder if Anderson was at all inspired by that clunkiness and tried just a little bit to like camp up the performances because he knew that that specific voice acting element you know, it was undeniable about that first game. And I don't know, because that's something that's spread on the internet. Obviously, I learned that not by playing the games, but by hearing other people talk about it online. So I'm not sure how widespread it was at that point, because the first game comes out in the mid-90s. But did you, I okay, wondered. Did you like this movie? I will say, I think you are off your rocker for giving this five <laughs> stars on Letterboxd. But... I did like this movie. It is it is gloriously 2002-ish. And there's something yes. beautiful about early aughts blockbusters that Lara Croft Tomb Raider also has in a different way. But when there's this the squad of soldiers who becomes, you know, the main characters next to Mila Jovovich, they come, like, rappelling into this mansion where she's staying. Yep. And she's trying to, like, figure out... <laughs> Like, what's going on? Because she wakes up and has no memory. And the song that kicks in is what some people describe as butt rock or fart rock. <laughs> this, like, crunchy-sounding rock. that Not not quite Nickelback, but, like, bands kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, the music just kicks in, and there's something undeniable to my soul that I'll never be able to take out of it where, like, I just... I start vibrating in excitement. I get so hyped up. And it's not just that CGI, like you're talking about. It, it's the music. It's the aesthetics. These, like, dank underground laboratory they're walking around. Yo, it's, this movie's so much fun. It's yeah. like the blood on that they that they do on the on the um, on all of the zombies, like, shirts. That is just so weirdly placed. Also, there's a scene, and I never thought I would say this. But there is a fantastic scene where um, I, I, I'm just going to say that Alice, who is Mila Jovovich's character, starts to fight off a pack of zombie dogs. So good. It is <laughs> so incredible. Oh, man. And she starts to realize that she, like, knows martial arts. It's Yeah, it's the... the muscle memory and the instincts kick in and allow her to fend off this pack of scary dogs. Oh my gosh. It's, it's legitimately good stuff. Like Mila Jovovich, I, you know, she's a known commodity largely because of stuff like the resident evil movies, which this became a relatively big franchise. It was six movies. All of them were generally financially successful. And she was the star of all of these movies and you know she doesn't have a massive career right now but she i'm not sure what if she's originally trained as an actress or if she's a, a dancer or a gymnast or something because a movie that we talked about previously that she's also in is the fifth element and she's playing this sort of like weird alien called lilu and you know her her gifts as a performer are very much about how she uses her body and she's a good action performer she's not probably ever going to win an oscar for her skills and and for her highly you know highly trained dramatics performances but she understands how to be in an action movie and she understands how to do and like engaging stunt work and how to just how to move well so yeah she's she is really good here i'm surprised christian that we've talked about resident evil this much and you haven't told the world that 
young early career Michelle Rodriguez is like the second in command to her character I'm, for most of the movie. I, I was saving it. Also, do you know? <laughs> do Do you know what famous filmmaker watches this as a guilty pleasure? I sure do, Christian. James Cameron watches this James as a guilty pleasure. <laughs> Cameron. <laughs> unbelievable he he heard that some people got drowned he heard there was water in an underground laboratory and he went running honestly like look james cameron would probably make the highbrow okay james cameron makes highbrow versions of b movies (laughs) and yes but but sometimes i just want you know like the slimy grimy b version movie of b movies and that's what this is, and oh, it is! It is fantastic, y'all. Grab your friends, grab some beers. It's on Netflix. Enjoy yourselves. I'm sad that all of the franchise isn't on Netflix right now. There's one or two for whatever reason where they didn't get the rights, but I'm definitely gonna check out at least the first sequel. I, I'm not sure yeah. if I'll get through the entire franchise, but this was a fun watch, and I'm mm-hmm. curious to see where they go because. I think the, this this particular movie was intended to be sort of a prologue to the first game, where in that game your character just explores this mansion and tries to figure out... I, I don't even know what they're trying to figure out, to be honest, so I shouldn't say anything. But it was intended to be... You know, this is revealing how the virus that created the zombies spread. But then they, they just sort of go on their own path with the rest of the movies, which Anderson would go on to produce and then ultimately return as the writer-director. And they just did their own action horror franchise. And I honestly feel like it would be fun to watch these movies. I know they don't have the best critical reputation, but you can do worse sometimes. So keep your eye out, folks. That's Resident Evil. All right, so... Do your shout-outs, I'll do my shout-outs, and then let's end and tell the people what's coming next. Let's do it. So, again, a few more just quick bullet points to shout them out to the people. A movie that I caught up with, I was able to catch up with for the show, is Warcraft, which was based on the, not necessarily the MMO World of Warcraft, but was based on the earlier games in that franchise, and is about some orcs who come to the human realm of Azeroth. Well, there's elves and dwarves too, I suppose, but come to Azeroth looking to further the goals of their people. And they start a war with the humans. And ultimately some humans and orcs start to work together to end the conflict because of course there's a really bad guy behind it all. I fell asleep while watching this movie, not because it was boring, but because I watched it too late at night. And this is not the kind of movie that you want to watch in multiple sittings because there's a lot of like lingo and jargon and names being thrown around. You can do so much worse when it comes to like a big fantasy adventure. There's some fun action here. It's not, again, not a great movie, but if you like fantasy stuff, it's worth a watch. I've never played anything Warcraft related and I had an okay time. So that's Warcraft. What's, What's a bullet point recommendation you had? Uh, War Games from the 1980s starring a young Matthew Broderick, which which deals into, like, what if what you did in video games became reflected in real life. And uh, a nuclear missile movie, it's, it, it's really, it's cool, exceedingly 80s, and shows you basically just massive acting chops from Broderick himself. I have seen that one too, but again, long ago, I don't remember anything about it really, except 
kind of the end, like how Broderick saves the day. So definitely one that I have to catch up with uh, for a rewatch. Another one, not, again, directly uh, adapted from a video game, but rather adapted from a graphic novel series that's heavily inspired by video games is Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, which is Edgar yes. Wright's adaptation of Brian Lee O'Malley's novels starring Michael Sarah. The concept itself is very video gamey. Scott Pilgrim falls in love with a girl named Ramona, and in order to date her, he has to defeat her seven evil exes. So a very video gamey setup, and it is an unbelievably fun movie. I I love the original series. I I have read through them multiple times, but it's a very very fun movie that is littered in just video game stuff all over that movie both in its setup and in a little like references and things that it makes to uh, different franchises that inspire the games so again not really like adapted from games but an incredibly fun movie to watch even if you're not really familiar with video games you'll have a good time right. cool anything else that you wanted uh, to shout out christian um honestly inception because it it's uh, a a film critic told me this like they said inception was what turned them on to video games or what ter- had them appreciate because if you look at it it's going like level by level by level and trying to see where it is at the quote-unquote like solution slash final bosses so i do think that inception is a bit of a take on video games if video game movies aren't your own thing now okay let's end that i have one more question ah me- oh, damn it detective pikachu all right I like now it. let's end there that's literally all I wanted to say. I liked it more than I thought I would when I saw it in theaters. Go to Texas <laughs> Pikachu. Let's end there. Okay. Coming up next month on the podcast, or this month, it is Star Wars. It is the original trilogy. We are going to be discussing episodes 4, 5, and 6, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. We have guests for every single one of those. And for y'all to know what we're going to do for our bonus episode at the end, we will be talking about The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett, Andor, uh, Rogue One, basically all things that have to do with the Empire, and where Star Wars has gotten its stories from, and what we think. Christian, this this is a blend of the month, years in the making, because back in the day when we were considering starting a podcast, we... We did a trial run of A Bug's Life for some weird reason, but didn't we also originally record some episodes, practice episodes almost, about these movies? Like, am I crazy? Episodes four, five, and six were yeah. all on Star Wars. Yeah. But they were not released publicly, so maybe we'll have no, to track down not. that audio and give it a listen. <laughs> Hopefully how we've improved since then. But I am naturally a very big Star Wars fan and incredibly excited to have an excuse to rewatch the original trilogy. So thank you, Christian, for your your thoughtfulness in designing this blend of the month. It's going to be a fun time. Give us the outro. That, of course, is our show, folks. Hope you enjoyed our first video game grab bag. And if you like the format, want us to consider it for other genres or you know, adaptations, I suppose. We'd love to know your thoughts. And to do that, you could send us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. 
We are regularly checking that inbox. Want to make sure that we're getting your recommendations, whether it's for movies to cover on the show, ideas you have for a blend of the month, or maybe it's something like this, and you're just a really big fan of that original Mortal Kombat movie, and you're sad that we've only seen the new one, and you wanted us to talk about the original, so we should watch it. We would love to talk about the movies that you love when we're doing these blends of the month. So again, that is cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. And ways that you can support the show, we would greatly appreciate if you would follow us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, we don't judge. But if you could, also leave us a rating or a review. Helps us reach new listeners and grow on those platforms, as well as just making our hearts feel all warm and fuzzy. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are giving Resident Evil five stars and writing very nice things about it. Mm-hmm. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? Go watch Return of the Jedi still in theaters. That's right, folks. Hopefully it's showing near you and you can catch it on a big screen, or you can just tune into Disney Plus like the rest of us. But until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>